sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. How's it? And welcome back. This is Moving the Needle podcast. And if you're new to the show, I'll be your host, Andrew Needling. Thanks for downloading this episode. I look forward to the journey we're all going to go on into the sport of mountain biking, action sports, psychology, you name it. I've got a wide variety of interests and I'm hoping to get some cool guests on the show. Speaking of guests, do not miss the last episode with Ben Deacon, a former Royal Marine commander. I became friends with him. We go on a lot of trips together. He's got such a great attitude to life. He's been through so much, getting through Hell Week, going to the conflict in Afghanistan, and now moving on to be a professional mountain biker. Great episode. So thanks for the reviews and response on that one. Quick one. I've got a question or more a request. Would you like us to do some Q&A kind of episodes. I've got some cool questions that have come in already. One was, do you think you need to be a perfectionist to reach the top level of mountain biking or, or life, that is? So that's a cool uh, question. So send them in on Facebook or Instagram. I'm going to compile all the cool questions and then maybe we'll just have a fun episode answering those questions, trying to give some value. Maybe they're funny questions from stories on the road. Who knows? I'm happy to try to do that. So I await the response from you guys if we can launch that. Guys, this next episode is a great friend of mine. He was a mentor to me when we were on the road. He's a little bit older than me. He's got multiple World Cup wins, a four-cross wins. He's got 20 years of international racing experience. He's been to Rampage. He's done it all, seen it all. And he just brought such a level of enthusiasm and entertainment to the mountain bike industry. It's none other than and Cedric Gracia. So without further ado, just enjoy this episode for what it is. All right, folks, I've got a special one for you, but it's probably going to be more special for me. Another reason to start start this podcast was to catch up with old friends. I actually think he was a mentor of mine because uh, he actually used to give me some, some sound advice after a few beers in the bar, which I took to heart. But it's none other than the crazy party man legend, the Frenchman, Cedric Gracia. How are we doing? How are you, people? <laughs> people on the interwebs. Yeah, well, yeah, internet, yeah. Very good. I was going to practice my French. I remember saying things like sauva, but that ouais, is ça va, ça, ça sauva. Muy bien, sauva. That's as far ouais, as it goes. Muy bien is Spanish, but you got oh, me. Yeah. Like, but, you sp- but that's you speak Spanish as well, though. Yeah, well, I learned I learned when I moved to Andorra because uh, even if my name is Gracia, everyone was thinking my relative is Spanish. And um, my grandpa, my grandmother before, you know, from Franco War, my grandpa moved to France. Then everyone was expecting me to speak Spanish because Cedric Gracia, Gracia, obviously Spanish. Everyone started to talk because I'm my relative are from Huesca. Everyone started to speak Spanish to me and I'm like, whoa. In school, I learned German and French only because I was in ski school. Then uh, I felt so bad to have related Spanish and not even able to understand the world. Then when I moved to Andorra, um, I had a roommate and uh, I told him to don't even bother uh, talking to me in French. Uh, he had to learn in English. Then I was talking to him in English and he was talking to me in Spanish. Then 
we we help each other and after a couple of months i could go out and speak spanish to everyone and after i learned catalan but the little bit of booze you know you get in uh, you know you don't get shy anymore and you start you know uh, uh, talking to everyone in spanish and i was talking then i decided to go to the bar <laughs> you've never been are you telling me you've ever been shy i am you're not shy if you look if you look at all uh, how do you call uh, record from school uh, it was always like cedric is quiet Cedric need to be more involved in the conversation. Cedric is shy. He need to get over to be shy because when he was into when I was into a group in school, first of all, I was not so good at learning. Uh, second of all, I was so scared and the, the teacher just grabbed me and tell me like, okay, uh, you learn your lesson. Then I was at the end of the school and I was just quiet and I was like, I hope she don't see me. Then obviously I was not talking. <laughs> well, I think you've come out your shell. Do you think it's something, are you, do you think you're actually maybe a bit of a extroverted introvert? Like, it's like you put on a show when you were younger and you learned that it's yeah. It's fun to be social and it kind of helps. Yeah, I think where I was, I think you're kind of right here. Like uh, when I was in ski school at Chamonix, uh, I was away from my parents really early. You know, like uh, between 13 years old and 14, you know, move out from the house, from family house to try to be someone in skiing. And I was with people, you know, who are healthy in Chamonix, who I have um, not much. I was good in BMX because I was world champ, but I was starting something new in the sport into people I don't know. And skiing is really difficult. And you need to train every day. Everyone, it's a competition. Then uh, you need to take care of your skis. You need to hide your stuff. I mean, it's, it's another world. And at an early age like this, living alone, you need, especially in school with people who are older than you, all of a sudden, you need to learn everything quick, you know? Then in school, I try to behave because I know my parents would definitely kill me if I do something bad. If I don't learn, is one reason. But if I don't learn and I'm an idiot, yeah, my dad would kill me. My dad is Basque. He would, he would kill me. Then I start to uh, behave more when I was on the skis, you know? Try to, okay, don't walk on my skis, man. If not, I cut your throat. <laughs> I was rushed. I was really rushed. I didn't want to talk forever. I was telling my point. If you don't understand, I will have to go through my hands. Then this is early age, you know, like you don't know, you don't want to be walked on even if they're older. And if uh, they start to walk on you, uh, I didn't want to be that kid, you know, that everyone, you know. Got bullied or what? E exactly. So you learned to stand up for yourself like super early. Yeah, super early. I had to. But you're forced in that ski school, right? You're like young, you're on your own, like you've only got yourself. Yeah, I was paying for my scholarship and it wasn't cheap. And my parents are not millionaires. They're working like every people in the world, you know. I was costing quite a lot of money to my parents just to be able to have a living in Chamonix. Chamonix is really expensive. Then all of a sudden I start to talk and talk and more and more. And I was like, wow, it actually feels good to talk and I'll have people you know, walking on your feet. And uh, and after a while, I was like, well, look like a lot of people don't like me. And uh, the people around me would like me. They are few, but they're here. Then I was like, well, maybe that's a way to be in life. You know, you're not going to have friends everywhere. Just, you know, don't be an idiot. Don't 
just just say what you think and uh, well it is what it is and i guess you, we set a, separate apart people who like you and not you know and then that's how i i did it <laughs> so cg um I know you as the mountain bike legend that competed downhill full cross as a young age, as a Frenchman that went to like a US team, which we should get to. But for the listener that's maybe I'm a little bit younger than you, but not really. And some of my listeners are even younger. They might not know of what came before them, which I think is super important. But so catch me up. You were a, a BMX world champion and now I'm hearing and I knew you were pretty into your skiing and mountain biking only came after the skiing. And that's what you're known for now. You know, you're the, the mountain bike legend that lives in Andorra now and, and, and has done a lot for the sport, won many races. But talk to me about that. So we've covered the early years where you went to like a serious ski school, which was probably pretty rigid and strict. And I kind of feel like mountain biking, you could kind of be yourself. So uh, exactly. where was the transition to mountain biking for the listen to understand where the love of mountain biking came? Well, you're going to laugh about that story and people will listen to this as well because it all it, it went from the day to the other. Like all my life, I dedicate BMX and skiing at the same time. I had to make a choice. I have to make a choice to be a professional skier or uh, uh, keep pushing BMX. BMX, I was already 11-time world cha- uh, a French champion, two or three times European champion and one-time world champ. And I was at the age, at 11 and 12, and I was like, okay, I've done that, it's great. It was not any dirt jump yet, it was just racing, racing. Not the dirt jump was not there, you know, to play around. And, you know, racing is like this, and I was winning every weekend. Uh, they have to upgrade me into another uh, class, higher class, uh, to have competition. But after a while, I realized and that's not what I want to do anymore. Um, I see my friends going to the beach, I'm racing every weekend. Uh, I was good at skiing. And I'm like, wow, let's go skiing. <laughs> and I was winning everything at skiing at the same time. Then I get a scholarship in Chamonix. I went in. And um, I was doing good. I was winning almost all the races. And uh, But the, what I didn't understand and uh, why it costs so much money to do sport. And, uh, you know, I had I, in skiing, I had no sponsorship. In skiing, it's really hard to get sponsorship. I had to buy my skis. I mean, my dad, because I, I was not making any money. I need to pay my living, my scholarship, my food. Then I was like, wow, what, what do I do here? And uh, um, the family I was staying uh, in, in the weekend, because uh, I was in school during the week, uh, one of the kids was riding mountain biking. And I'm like, what in biking? What, what is mountain biking? It's like, yeah, you know, we crazy, bro. We go down the hill. We have suspension, a full face. I'm like, do you have a front brake? And he said, yeah, we have front brakes. I'm like, what? Front brakes? I'm going from BMX. We don't have front brakes. And he's like, no, but Cedric, really, really, you need to come with us. We, we, we take you with us. We, we teach you how to ride. And I'm like, uh, I come, I come one day, and I look what they wear. They had like almost a skin suit, like what they was using in cross country, because they have no, there was no clothing in MTB yet. Either you have the guy who took the motocross pants from his dad, with a ski helmet from his dad, and he go riding with a, with a bike, uh, whatever, with front suspension. And this family had one bike rental shop, and they give me a ProFlex bike you know to go and try uh, i had the stamp with a with a suspension on the stamp 
I had the fork and a, a little uh, plastic elastomere on the back for suspension. And they're like, all right, let's go. And I put my BMX Echo helmet and I went down the hill, you know, catching my, my friends and just like block passing them, tried to learn the front brake. And you know what? That day was in Le Bosson Chamonix and we didn't have really a trail. We take like a hiking trail. And I go down and I'm like, it's not too bad. You, do you still like, remember I, it like visually, like oh, the yeah, first oh, day yeah. you went on a mountain bike? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, my friend crashed so hard because we didn't have any protection, just a full face helmet. And you know, like when you take the ski slopes, you know, sometimes they have a little ravine to have the water. Yeah, the water runoff, yeah. <laughs> he tried to pass me and I was like, oh, I'm going fast. And he tried to pass me to show off, to show me, oh, dude, I'm a downhiller, you, you BMX boy. Oh, man, he got bucked over the bar and I saw him like this, like a cat and land on his hand and on his knees. Man, and he tumbled, tumbled. I stopped, you know, the way I could without killing him. And I'm like, are you okay? And I look his knees. It was no even skin left on his knees. And I was, oh my God. <laughs> and I realized, I'm like, that, that, that sport is cool, but it could be dangerous because we didn't have, we didn't have much, you know, no gloves, nothing, like skateboard. I had skateboard knee pads, I think. And, uh, you know, I bring him down and I was the son of my family. And I'm like, dude, you're okay. You know, we, we have to clean it. And he couldn't ride. And we went for two more. We went for two more. And uh, that's where I realized, and oh, it's, not, it's not too bad. We can crash hard. And I think my second run, I went, um, you know, I didn't know the size of my handlebar. And I saw two trees and I tried to go through. But what I didn't realize is uh, I put a motocross, uh, you know, motocross for the rocks. The chest protector yeah, from motocross. Uh, it went straight into the two trees and my bike left and I stayed between the two trees. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And these, I mean, those bikes, I spoke to Jürgen Benecke and I mean, you look at the bikes, there's more suspension in today's tires on a mountain bike and bike than there was suspension on the forks or like these yeah. polymers. Cool. So that was like at the start of kind of mountain biking, making oh, its yeah. way to Europe is when you yeah. got invited to ride for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, I had a fork. It was RST 400. Like uh, you have to put tokens inside like and you pile the tokens of like the colors if you want to have it linear or ramp it up then i have to put the black at the bottom all the black all the reds and the yellow <laughs> you stack them up and you put them back <laughs> it's uh, the bikes were such piles of shit back then huh yeah but at the end of the day because there was all piles of shit we didn't care because well you didn't know yeah you don't know it could be yeah, better yeah. yeah yeah at the end of the day it was important the most important is the way you looked. Like if you look goofy or if you look cool. That's the only thing. The bike working or the tires. We had only two tires. A Chinson tire on the rocks. And you had you didn't, you didn't even have Michelin. You had Panarasa. That was really great only for rain. But all the rest, you just get, you even get them in the supermarket. You didn't care. <laughs> Whatever. It's going, it's going to be slippery for everyone. No one have a better bike than each other or whatever. Then it's who is the most crazy. That's it. <laughs> it, was, it was good. And then is that kind of the end of the skiing? Did you try to do both? It was kind of like you try to start mountain bike racing. No, the, the transition is like uh, I was doing good coming in into European Cup in skiing. 
And I start mountain biking and I went to La Bourboule, La Bourboule French Cup, first race, 13, uh, uh, yeah, I think even a top 10 overall in the rain and first in uh, junior. And in junior, I was not even junior, I was cadet. I was too young to race, but they let me race in junior. Then I was, and I got my first prize money, maybe like a couple bucks, but doesn't matter. With that money, I knew, I knew I had enough to live for a week. Then I was like, wow, my parents are going to be stoked for once. I'm going to save them money. Then I went home and I was like, I had, I had fun. Uh, it was a new sport. Then I was all excited. I still love skiing. But at the end of the day, when you don't make money, you make a quick decision. Either your parents are going to pay for your lifestyle and try to be a, ski, a skier in World Cup and I probably have to ruin my, my parents, or I go to a sport who is brand new, fun, I can hang out with my mates, and I don't need to ski in the summer. Then I was like, oh, this is fun. doesn't matter if I, if, I, if, I, if I just have enough to leave. You know, when it's new, you don't care. It's a new sport. You don't have to, in the summer, you're going to have fun with your bike. You don't have to go skiing in the glacier because I had to go skiing in the summer, 100 days to be able to perform in the winter. Then that's why skiing was really stiff for me. Then one day I just snapped one when I got a phone call from um, a sponsor, son at the time, and they saw my result and they're like, Cedric, you got 13 and you got first. I'm like, yeah, it was my first race. I'm like, cool, uh, what do you need? I'm like, oh, I have all my bikes, I'm good. I'm with my friends. And no, 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 uh, you in the team. I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? Because he was sponsoring me in BMX. And he's like, yeah, you're in a team. I'm going to pay for your hotel, your gasoline to go to the races. And, uh, and uh, you're going to have a, a team bike. And I'm like, what is a team bike? Oh, it's a, it's a bike we make only for athletes. Uh, and I was like, <clears throat> from nothing to everything. And I'm like, yeah, but I have a little problem. I don't have a driving license to go to the races. That doesn't matter. You can come with your friends. And I'm like, no way. Then... All my friends, we take a bus, we go, I pay for the gasoline. Of course, I was sponsored by Sun, but it was only one room in the hotel and I have to sleep in the camping. And because I didn't want to leave my friends in the camping, I sleep in the camping and I go and we go one by one to take a shower in the hotel. <laughs> so so you're basically on this factory ride. I mean, this is Nikas Viez was on this team and Caroline yeah, Chisong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the greats of yeah. the sport. And you're this yeah. young French kid. Yeah, the first year, the first year. And my friend couldn't believe it. I know, like, but Cedric, you know, you can win tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah. But doesn't matter. We all together, we sleep in a tent and we sleep in a tent in La Borboule, raining, raining, raining. And I have a hotel room and we go take a shower all stoked. And it's like, yeah, we're going to shred today. Like we didn't care. Like it was awesome. Like I was doing bad stuff, dude, in a trailer. You know, we have the bus, you know, at night I, we was driving like my friend because I, I didn't have driving license. I was on the back and I was stealing I was stealing all the trash, you know, like the French people put in front of the house. And I was taking them and my friend was driving behind us like this. And um, I was opening the door of the bus and I was throwing the trash and he had to avoid them with a the car. <laughs> <laughs> so the, crazy, the craziness started pretty young for you, clearly, because when I got on the circuit, you had your reputation and it didn't really change. But um, you had like... Obviously, I was a youngster and, and people looking up 
this was, you know, it's before the internet, so we could see results, there was magazines, and I always saw you with this persona, like you seem to always want to be different or were different, even when you're on a team like Sun, which is pretty rigid and clean cut, and, and let's call it maybe the old school French way of doing, which is not wrong or right, yeah, they, yeah, they were all business, and, and it paid off, especially back then, it really paid off, there was, they kind of set the standard of professionalism, how you look or shouldn't look depending yeah, exactly. on how you view it. But, I mean, you had early success. Um, I don't know if people know how early you had the success. I mean, you won pretty much straight out the bat. At, at 20 years old, you won a World Cup DH yeah. race. I mean, that's, that's early. Not everyone's doing that. What was it like having that early success? Like, I mean, that's big success in a, in a sport that was growing already. Well, it was good. Uh, that team, obviously, like that's the first team I signed, and uh, because Max came to me, and he, I mean, I give him like so many titles in BMX. He didn't want to lose the opportunity to braid me into a mountain biker and be successful. But what he, uh, what he, the important things for me was to hang out with my friend, and at the time I had Florent Poussin coming from BMX as well. And uh, <clears throat> of course, coming into that team was crazy because all of a sudden, you know, from nothing, you come into a Formula One team. It is rules. It is rules like the way we were sponsored by Nike. Nike, I mean, Nike, like it's huge. And we need to have all those clothes with all the logos uh, to make sure we don't miss any. You know, we had this, uh, it was basically a suit we need to wear when we travel. I was traveling business class to all the races. I was 17 years old, like uh, uh, the first in junior, yeah, and after 18, and I, I was young. And uh, I was thinking that was normal. I didn't know, but we didn't have the salary. We had all the spec and the structure, but I mean, my salary was, yeah, enough for a young person to live alone. But we didn't care about this. Like we care about, we in a massive team, we have a semi truck. And the good thing is my bike was so performance because we was probably like five or six years, six years ahead. Easily. Hey, back then I it, remember easy, seeing yeah, those easy, things. Easy. I wasn't training. I was partying every weekend with my friends. I was touching my road bike only once a week because I was feeling guilty from the weekend I had with my friend that I was going on Monday for two hours. That's the only thing I was doing. The rest, I was feeling so guilty, uh, to get a little paycheck. It was not much, but doesn't matter when you have nothing. All of a sudden, a little bit is a lot. I told Max, I'm like, excuse me, Max, uh, can I come at the office? I need to learn how to work. Then I decided to go every morning until 12 from, uh, to have a structured life. Because before I was going to school, and all of a sudden, I had nothing. Then, obviously, I was not training. Playing PlayStation, it was the beginning. That's the only thing I was doing, and motocross. Then I was like, okay, I need to go to work to, to, to teach life because I, need, and I don't want to be a dumb. Then I was, uh, I was selling bikes on the phone to all the shops who was carrying sun, sun bikes. Then, uh, like this, I had a, stri a structured life. And in the evening, I was going training, but not much because uh, I wasn't a fan. Was it more like riding your bike? Like you would ride, with, you ride a lot of bikes, like skill work? I had I had a BMX and I was going to the skate park every day with my BMX and sometimes the road bike, but BMX a lot. And in a weekend, I was riding motocross with my friends. But uh, I had to learn life, like real life, because all of a sudden from school, 
to nothing, you stay home and you have to organize your life at a young age, you, you don't know what to do. You're not going to train all day, but you don't know how to train. Then, uh, and you need to perform on the first races and I don't know how to train, but my bike was so good. I could go and race smoking a cigarette and I would be top 10, I think. My bike was so good. No offense to the racers I was against. It, my bike was so performance. When I won in Nevergal, in front of Nicolas Vulios, Vulios had the same bikes as mine, but he had the linkage. But the linkage for me was so difficult to find. We had three different linkage to have the beginning of the suspension, to have a softer. And for me, that bike was too much glue to the ground. I couldn't pick it up and jump and do jumps. So yeah, you like you liked a lively bike and he liked the, the traction exactly. style. Exactly. Okay. I like playful bike. Then before we went to Nevegal, Bossar from the suspension create a bike, pyrimetric bike, that's when we show up with a perimetric, with a straight suspension, with like a motocross suspension he just built. Uh, it was paint with a spray paint because it had to look blue. Remember, we had a semi-truck, we had to look Formula One. I went to the start, I ride, boom, boom, boom. Semi-final with the first bike and it was kind of wet because never got a rain all the time and I was on the top five, I think. And I was like, oh my God, that bike is meant, is meant. I went to the race, I almost missed the start. I was on the left. The guy was in, in the start. I put my goggles, I went, and my mechanic was waiting. And he, I just put my goggles. He said, good luck. <laughs> In French, I remember. He's like, allez, allez. <laughs> <laughs> allez, go. Yeah, allez, allez. So you almost missed the start of your first World Cup win. <laughs> I went to the start, everyone. And, and, and when I arrived, I looked and I'm like, whoa, there's not many people left. And I look who was at the gate. And I, just the guy who qualified just in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what an idiot. And I had those bolly glasses at the end. It looked like I, I was a paintball. Uh, yeah, they player. looked horrible. You looked like a bumblebee. <laughs> those. That was like from skiing, those things, huh? Yeah, I don't know. But I put them on. <clears throat> I went to the start. And my mechanic looked at me like this in French. Allez, c'est bon. And I heard beep, beep. And I went on the last bep and I'm like, and that run was so long and it was raining and all of a sudden I have doubts so like if I put the right tires or not, when you arrive that late, you don't care anymore. Well, you just pay. I was going to say like in hindsight, looking back now, surely that was actually a help because you had no time to think, doubt, get nervous. You were just like, yeah. you just reacted how you, you know, you go into the first turn and you just ride on like subconscious. Well, <clears throat> that's, that's something that was good for me because a lot of people always think like I was never scared or never had stress. I'm like everyone. I just know how to hide it. Because okay. I know that we, that we play a game at the start. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And we look at each other. And I always look so confident because I knew everyone, because this is from skiing. Everyone look at you like this. They look at you with mean that... They're like, oh, I'm better, I'm stronger than you. And I was like, yeah, right. You think you are, but I have two arms, two legs like you, and I'm going to kill you today. Then that's why like, a lot of people were thinking, I was like, I never have stress. I was shitting myself like everyone else. I wanted to, good, to do good. I wanted to win races. Then, 
Yeah, when I arrived that late, it was good for me because I didn't have to think and I know I have to pin it and I knew my line. But at, at those days, you know, the line was changing every run because, you know, like it was in the field, like with just poles. And that's what I liked. You know, you know, it's like skiing. You have to look where it's clean, when it's great, when you have a nice rat to get the speed and touch less the brakes. And in in in, in Evigal, <clears throat> it was raining so hard and we had a rock garden. We I knew that everyone, we have a problem then if you crash, you could still win. I crashed twice and I, and I ran behind my bike and I still won <laughs> because, because I, I didn't drop the towel. Like I crashed and I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter, you pinning. I was in one wood section, I went off course. I remember it was a lady, I think it's online on internet. One lady had an umbrella and she started to run down with an umbrella and it was great. I couldn't stop because before our brakes was not the best. We didn't have the right tires. And if you, if, you, if you don't stay into the river, you know, it's making from the rain into the trail. If you go out that river, your tire will be full of mud and you, you will slide. And I remember I was trying to look for the river, running behind my bike. I'm like, ah! And I passed the finish and I won. <clears throat> I was first, but Vulios was not there yet. But uh, Palmer came over. He jumped over and I was young, you know, I, my English, I, I wasn't speaking English. I didn't, I speak in English only when I moved to America from Cannondale. Then I see that big guy with big tattoo everywhere. Yeah, bro. And I looked at him. Oh, oh he's, he's going to punch me because I didn't know him much. I look at him as an American snowboarder, badass guy, but cool for a sport because we have a badass, you know. And he came with a big beer like this, and I grabbed the beer. And I looked at him, and I drink, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I want to win races. <laughs> so so do we have to blame Sean Palmer for yeah. the amount you drink? We're just, that's his fault. Everything was not so good for me. Just blame on Sean Palmer. Yeah, he was good. Good and bad for everyone in the sport. Dude, yeah, I'm, ho I'm hoping I can get him on to have a chat, man. He He inspired me so much, and... I think his story is fascinating. But yeah, so you mentioned Volvo Cannondale. So you move on to them. You go to America. And I got like a million questions because you said you like didn't even know what an email was back then. But I mean, that was a long time ago. But you probably didn't know how to do your own washing. You, no. you were quoted as saying you learned your English from Snoop Dogg. So speaking of learning <laughs> languages, you learned to speak English from what? Watching rap videos and being in America. Yeah, and with Brian Lopes, uh, with DMX Music, uh, uh, B.I.G. We was gangster. Like, I loved it. But like, listen, it's simple as that. One day, I come back uh, from, uh, I was seeing, come and see my parents. And uh, I tell mom, uh, now I'm racing bikes. Um, um, I have another offer from an American company. Uh, in, in the meantime, Sun was going down. We got bankrupt. And they didn't want to pay all my salaries because we got bankrupt. And I, I mean, I was young and I'm not that stupid. I know how much I was making a, a month is not much, but I live on that. I live on that money. And all of a sudden, it all went to shit. I knew this because I was working in there. Then when I was selling bikes, I have to go to contability. And contability tell me, hey, Cedric, this shop, we can't, uh, is, is locked contability, you don't pay. 
I'm like, yeah, but I sold 50 bikes on this guy. Is that, yeah, they're not living from here. He's not paying. And I realized that the business wasn't doing so good because uh, everything I sell, they all locked contability. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I tell my friend, Florent Poussin, who raced with me, I'm like, come with me, Florent. Uh, he was working at building the bikes. I, I want to go to the stock. I go to the stock. The stock was straight to the ceiling, full bikes and no trucks to pick up the bikes to deliver. And I'm like, fuck, something's wrong. I don't know what it is, Florent, but something's wrong. He's like, no, no, it just people have to pay before we deliver the bike. I'm like, yeah, it's okay for one shop. I have 50 shops we are locked. I'm like, okay, now we have a problem then. <laughs> then I, told, <laughs> I told him, like, okay, uh, we need to figure out something. I, I still love riding. I want to ride more. This lifestyle is the best. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting uh, from the back here. You know what I mean? Then, uh, okay, I went to the office. I talked to the boss of the office at the time, Max. I'm like, do we have a little problem here? And he's like, no, no, Cedric, all good, all good. I'm like, hmm, that's not the feeling I have, really. He's like, uh, I will explain you. In two months, lock the door over. No one have sponsor anymore because we just went crazy on being business class, taking the benefits from the office to go uh, racing. Uh, we were spending more than the sponsor was giving us. Then wow, it was a bang-gog show. But since uh, the last two years, I had Kenendel at the door, but my English was so bad, I couldn't understand what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they were speaking in English to me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yes, yes, very good. My name's Cedric Gracia. Yeah, very good. I know they wanted me, and it was bumping my salary up and up and up and up, but... I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay with my friend. Yeah, and you were loyal to Sun and Max yeah, and like yeah, French, yeah, yeah. of course. I, did, I didn't want to, but when it went to shit, I had to find a new job. Then because I didn't want to move to America alone, um, I find with Tomac, you remember Tomac Bikes? Yeah. A, spon a sponsorship for Florent Poussin to have him moving with me in America because I knew we moved to America uh, by the time we finalized the deal with Canandale. <clears throat> but I was scared to leave, you know. Then uh, at the end, he wanted to stay with his girlfriend, my friend, and go to have a normal life and work. And I was so disappointed because for me, he was one of the best athletes in the world. You know, Florent Poussin, <clears throat> just uh, from BMX to everything he do is great, you know. And I was, I was such a shame to have such an athlete retired because <clears throat> we had one problem of not having the same sponsor anymore. <clears throat> then I have to move to America and I tell mom, all right, I bought tickets. I moved to America. Tomorrow I go to Los Angeles. We didn't have any phone yet. Three band phone. It was only two band in Europe and three in America. Then I was, I went to Ericsson and I bought the first three band phone. We can work in all over the world to make sure I get contacts with mom. Yeah. Got my ticket and my mom grabbed me and said, you crazy. Uh, I was 17. You live it, you're going to live in America. You don't know where you're going to sleep. Uh, you don't have money yet. You didn't receive your first paycheck from this brand. Uh, all your economy are with you right now. Where are you going to sleep? I said, I don't care, mom. It, it's okay. If I don't find something, I sleep in the airport. She's like, no, 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 no. 
And I say, hey, mom, whatever. I call you, I will call you in two months when I figure out what I'm doing. I moved to America, arrived, and they have all those phones, you know, like for the hotels. And I never went to America. And I see people grabbing the phone. Hello, can I have a room for tonight? And I was like, whoa, you need to take a phone to get a reservation for something? And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, wow. I get the first one. It was like Motel 6 or something. I just grab. And I say, hello, uh, one room. And I understand then it's a chattel outside. Yeah, you know how they speak in America. Yeah, yeah, bro. You know, it's a chattel outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I couldn't understand. I had to call it three times. And I finally understand it was a shuttle outside, you know, with different hotel. And I saw the logo. I jumped in. He bring me. I got to my hotel room. And it was in Los Angeles. Crazy hood. Hood. That's why it was cheap. What does it matter? I went there. I sleep the first night. And I know I have a, a full day to realize where I'm going to live. And uh, I heard Huntington Beach for all the BMX. Then I moved to Huntington Beach with a super shuttle, super sh- blue blue truck. Yeah, I use that so often. Yeah, super <coughs> shuttle from Laguna super to shuttle. LA for the airport <coughs> runs. I got super shuttle. And after I contact Brian Lopes because he was in the same time than me, but you know, hey, where, where my name? My name is Brian Lopes, yo. <coughs> Couldn't understand him. <laughs> then, uh, then we meet and uh, he said, yeah, man, so good. Welcome to California. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Brian Love. That's so sick. And uh, after I find an apartment where um, basically the workers live in uh, Costa Mesa uh, because it was cheap. And I was w- living with, uh, with uh, basically people who are painting houses, like big family of community of Mexicans. And I was living with them. I had just one bag and I bought myself a pan and uh, a hot pot just to make me food every day, because I need to live with the money I, I carry from friends. And one month, I uh, start to organize. And uh, <clears throat> after two months, my English was improving with Brian. And Brian is like, yo, you cannot live in Costa Mesa, bro. Uh, we're going to train together. If you want, I have a spare room at the house, and you can come and live with me. And instead of paying that, I give you a a small um, uh, rent and uh, you can live with me and we can train together. And I'm like, yeah, you're sure, bro? He's like, yeah, 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 come, come. And I had my girlfriend at the time and we moved in in one room. And uh, I was like, okay, it's moving forward. And I train every day. And my girlfriend was going to the beach and start to pick up a job at the cycling bakery, a friend of Brian. And um, a little bit more, a little bit more. And my first paycheck came, and I went crazy. I bought an American car, like massive American car. What did you I buy? Bought, like a truck? I bought a, a Cadillac. Uh, no, a Cadillac. Oh, no, no, no. Full-on murder. The lowrider. The lowrider okay. with the white walls. Okay. okay. So I've done a little bit of homework. You brought it up. So apparently you bought this lowrider. And you drove it over to Lopes' house. And it was so low that the door handles, the only way to open it was with some key. It, it was no handle. It was And a, what a, and what happened? You got out the car all excited and then Oh, I was so crazy exciting. First car in America, burned my first paycheck, uh, got an apartment. I was coming in to tell him I got an apartment in front of Sheep Hills. Sheep Hills, like 
if you look on internet, it's called Casa del Sol. It was like two grand a month, but I didn't care. Two grand a month for me was like, I could live on that forever. Two grand a month, I didn't care. I was like, whatever, whatever. I'm starting my American dream. Then I drive the car to Lobs. I have to tell Lobs. I have to tell for a gangster. Yeah, bro, low rider, white walk. <laughs> Like, you could stay five guys on the front, like, whoa, with my blonde girlfriend, yeah, totally American, the Frenchie, whoa. I arrive, honk the horn, I, I let the car run, I put the hand raised, like, Brian, Brian, check my car, check my car. I get out, it's like, great, I tried to open, but it was no handles. Then I was like, oh, shit, and the <laughs> car was running. <laughs> And it was a button hiding under, but I didn't know. And Brian was laughing at me so hard. And when I left, my car was dripping oil on his brand new concrete. It oh, shit, dude. Lopes is not going to be happy oh. with that. <laughs> oh, Lopes killed me. He made me clean it. He's like, you need to clean that. I'm like, yes, I will. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy. I think I burned my paycheck and, yeah. With the apartment, the car, yeah, two days, but doesn't matter. I had a home. I had, because in the meantime, I was going to the grocery with the BMX and Brian's gave me for training and go to Sheepills, a mongoose, because it was mongoose at the time before, before we signed Cannondale. Then I had a mongoose to go, but it's not like France, you know, like the bakery is not down the street. My bakery of bones was like three blocks away. Then I have to come back with my bike and all the, the bags of food. Dude, I did the same shit as this when I was in California. I had to ride to the grocery store if, if Sven and Uncle were out. I was like, okay. And then it's, it's everything so far in America. Yeah, everything was so far. And after uh, I find out that the Huntington Beach on, uh, on Beach, uh, Beach Boulevard was living Steve Pete with all the UK BMX dirt guy. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to see Steve Pete. And I pedal, I pedal, I pedal with a BMX. And I arrived to Steve and they was doing gate practice. And he had his uh, pickup truck, like gold, the Ranger. They was living in the community. It was super cool because it was only English people. And I was alone. And sometimes I come and see them. And it, it, it was on GT at the time. And I was on Cannondale. And there we go. American dream. There we go. But hey. It was ballsy because I was not speaking any language. Uh, my parents, I hide everything from my parents because they was worried. My mom was worried. Like, I mean, I'm living to Los Angeles. The only thing we, we receive from news from Los Angeles and America is gang fight and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was living in an area where it was all that. Like, I got shot in my window from my apartment the first night. Where? Like Costa Mesa? In... Um, in Huntington Beach, like it was, it was gunfight outside. I heard the gun and I heard like glass. The bullet went in my room, but I was in the living room. Then I had to call the police. And I was so scared to call the police because I didn't know how to explain. And maybe we think that we'd be related to drugs or gangs. And he saw all my bikes and he entered. He's like, you safe? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I heard, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. We had a gunfight outside, ah, ah, and I was like, you know, like with a big chest and 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 the radio and everything. And How scary like, are American cops? Oh, I was, like you see them, you see them on the other side of the highway, and you're like, as a foreigner, I'm like, uh, I hope I didn't do anything silly. Yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, same, yeah. Same. And when they told me, it's like, excuse me, I'm French, I don't know what I'm doing. And they look at me, it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> and did he, did he, and then you said your last name's Gracia. He's like, hey, como estas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're Spanish. You come from over the border. <laughs> yeah. Go back to Mexico. Where, where did you get those bikes? Yeah, yeah, dude. He was asking me a question that I tell him I'm a, I'm a, I'm a European a pro mountain biker. I just moved to the country. I love this country. This I say, good luck, but be careful. This area could be gnarly. And I was like, oh. And um, a birdie's telling me that that's not the only crazy thing that happened. Didn't a certain girlfriend back then ransack your apartment and leave? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. My the girl from France. I bring like my. Uh, she was a cross-country French champion. Her name was Agathe <laughs> at the time. And I bring her with me, you know, like to go to America and she can do something else of her life. You know, like she was a great athlete, but like this, we can move together and she could see what is America. And as long as I have enough money for two, it's okay. But after she wanted to work, of course, because she wanted to have her independence. And you know me. I moved to America all of a sudden from a normal French life when you have your little girlfriends, you're young, you go to America, you do pretty good, like you get races, uh, girls look at you with your French accent, oh my God, it's so cute. Then you're like, oh wow, this is great. Like uh, girls you only see on movies. You're like, oh my God. And of course I start to date some of them without telling the girlfriend and oh, not so good. <laughs> She emptied my bank account. She broke all the walls of my apartment. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had no more money. Uh, I have to go to the races. I don't know where she is. Well, she took my money to go back to France, of course. But she broke everything. She didn't pay the bills like she was supposed to when I was gone racing. Oh, man. Disaster. I, loved, I called Brian. I was crying, I remember. I was like, she broke everything. He's like, what? I'm like, she broke everything. <laughs> like Brian, <laughs> Brian came driving with a brand new Porsche. He's like, you're good, bro. I'm like, I don't have any more money. <laughs> then I fixed everything. He's like, it's okay, bro. You know, but don't do shit like this. And we come back to you. You know, I, you know, when you work like when you talk to, when you talk to you like this, you know, it's it's serious business. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you know, everything came so fast, and I saw those beautiful girls and blah blah blah, and yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Oh well, I learned. I was young. <laughs> I learned the hard way sometimes, but it is, it is, and. Brian teach me a lot, and when I moved to his house, you know, like, he tell me, <clears throat> I didn't know was, what was an email. And then I bought myself a computer, and everything was done with the phone. And he's like, and I create, it was, uh, my first email was like, uh, 95700 whatever, at AOL.com. AOL, AOL. Then, uh, and I start to receive emails and I see Brian with a beautiful office and all those jerseys with world champions and stuff. And I was sitting next to him and he showed me how to work. Then you say, Cedric, you receive an email. Now you need to answer. And sometimes you get offers from sponsors. You need to tell them what you want. You need to, you need to be tough ne negotiator because uh, let's play me. Okay, you see this uh, Maxis tire saying bling, bling, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get royalty on that. Every time they sell one, 
they have to give me money. And I'm like, hmm, oh, that's a good deal. He said, yeah. You know, and he was always like, that's what it is. You know, you need to be a businessman because uh, it's not because they have your name. They can do everything with it and make all the money and you don't make any of them. You need to be part of the game. Then uh, I started to learn with him and he teach me and it was awesome because Lopes was such a great businessman and he was playing with stocks, like crazy stock. He could double his salary with just stocks because he was, he was always connected. He was so much ahead. For me, it was like a motocross guy, you know, into a mountain biker uh, lifestyle because he was so clever. He was clever how to make money, more money with his money. So did he, do you think if it, it wasn't for him, it might have taken longer or not happened to like learn not to piss your money away and like it's not going to come in forever and need to make it work for you? Yeah, I've never been a, a money, money like this, but uh, <clears throat> I could understand, I can understand that when the money, when you don't have much, it come quick and quite often for a while, you get used to a certain lifestyle because everyone wants to have nice cars, houses, and yeah, of course, it's not bad. It's human. It's human. Don't tell me you don't want to have your own house. You prefer to rent. No, everyone wants to have something they, they feel comfortable. And yeah, and uh, Brian always teach me, you need to invest your money. If you want to buy something big, <clears throat> it's not only to make yourself a treat. You need to think about, can you make more money with this? And uh, at the end of the day, he's right. Because everything I did in my life, I started before Lobs with uh, houses. I bought apartments. I fixed them when it was uh, my first paychecks. And I sell them for six times more than I bought it. Then I start to do more and more. And every time <clears throat> I bought houses, uh, I lost a little bit of money in America. And when it went down, we bought a house and I lost 100 grand. Yeah, it's investing, isn't it? I mean, it's, there's no guarantees. No, no, it's no guarantees. People think, oh my God, you such have a good lifestyle. I was making what maybe the top athlete, um, uh, one, one fifth, um, I was making one fifth of one of the best athletes today is making. And I bought houses with it. I bought more houses with it just because I played with that money and uh, buy another one, sell it, buy another one. And with, a, with, a, with the bonus I made, with a, the, the increase, I was buying something bigger or two different apartments and I was rolling the ball because I know mountain biking will not go forever. Then I think I learned this from Brian Loves because he was teaching me with the house he was living and how he started and the way, <clears throat> the way he was rolling his life. I mean, yeah, of course he could afford a porch when... I was in a team and I had almost no car because he was so smart. He was, he, he was for me, he was a genius. He was a hard trainer, an incredible competitor in focus. When he find out that in downhill he couldn't win anymore, he just dropped it and get focused on one thing and getting all the bonuses. He was collecting big time. He was, he was amazing for this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a huge lesson and it's like the more you are able to think that it might not last forever, you can protect some of your earnings or try be smart with it and diversify. I'm not a financial advisor, but I think people that realize it won't stop, don't save because now your lifestyle is less stress now. Lopes's lifestyle is less stress. Even if he stopped all his sponsors today, 
he he could take some time because he's got some income or passive income so that he could find another job but sports is tough dude like you hear about all these NFL players in America because they're getting paid so much they learn to spend thinking it's going to be like that for 25 years but sometimes the careers are cut short they've got all this debt from buying too many big houses and too many cars like the money's not working for them yeah too many wives as well that that well, I don't know. That, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, luckily you don't. I mean, in, in America, I mean, if you get married to someone, she would get, when you divorce, half of your socks. Then it is, it is, <laughs> it is a factor you need to. But hey, it all comes down to education. Education is how you get educated. I mean, a euro is a euro or a dollar is a dollar. Respect it, earn it, and don't. I think I always have a rule. You get uh, on 100% of how much you make, just learn how to live with 50% of that. Then you know, then if something happens, you have those other 50% to cover it, and it's okay. With 50%, just you're happy. I was happy with not much before. Then... It's just like, you know, consuming. Yeah, of course, you, we all want that, don't want that. But if you lower your standard, I think that's my role. Of the 100% of how you make, just pretend it's a 50. That's it. And you live with us. Like this, you don't run into trouble. Because at the end of the day, we nothing. Look what it's happening right now. Well, yeah. I mean, people that don't have emergency funds now or savings, like it's, it must be, it is a stressful time for everyone, but people yeah. with less, and it doesn't mean about rich or so much money, but for your lifestyle, having some safety blanket is, it helps with your stress. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I think that's the rule. You need to have that little blanket because we never know can happen. Did anyone see Diverius coming? No, we didn't. Like no one. And how, how long is going to stay? We don't know. For a long time, more than we think. Yeah. Are we going, are we going to be uh, affected about this? We already are. We already have problems to have sourcing on suspension tires. 2021 is going to be really difficult. I know because I am in the bike industry and I'm facing this problem with uh, the bike we're doing. We, we got some parts, but I know it's going to be a long time to get new parts and yeah, it's going to be difficult, but whatever. We all on the same ship. We all in. Uh, we just need. We need to move, but don't affect as well too much our life. You know, hey, it's okay. The good days are going to come back, but now we remember how good was the days before. Before we was all happy, but we take this for granted. We were thinking it was normal to be happy and travel the world and. Uh, go race our bike there and get some drink there. Yeah, that was before. We was lucky. Now, hey, we're not as lucky. Then it's okay. We all want to have this back, but we come back, but at least you appreciate what you had before. If we never had that virus, we never understand how cool was our life before. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You take so much for granted, and some things are normal. We got so used to them, but now you're like, wow. That is a normal thing that I've taken so for granted, i.e. being able to go to a restaurant with friends or whatever, you know, when a lockdown happens. So, yeah, that's 
That's brilliant, CG. And what's interesting to me is you went through like all facets of racing from bikes that were being developed to adapting with the times and, and having success. What do you think kept you motivated and keeps motivating you? Because you obviously didn't, it didn't look like you took it too seriously on the outside, but inside you were, you know, you were training eventually, you had coaches, like what, what kept you motivated during all those years to have that long career? Well, I think um, I got bored easily in life. Uh, this is a fact. Um, if it's something happening quick, I, I change. That happened with girlfriends. It uh, happened with everything. Uh, I realize uh, I get bored. Like it could be a car or a girlfriend, whatever. Then I need, I need to be motivated in life because... I don't know if it's being ambitious or whatever, but uh, mountain biking always kept um, that little, that little thing, and it's never the same. And um, like I say in the beginning, I wasn't training because I had a great bike. And after I had less of a great bike when I moved to uh, the American brand, I knew it wasn't the fastest bike, and I know it was uh, the bike was stopping me of, of being faster. That's why I was praying that it rained every weekend. Then the speed would go lower, then I can shine, because the speed would be lower, my bike would be able to race at that speed. Then every time it rained, I was like, oh, it's for me tomorrow. Leger. I crashed on the last corner, but I could win. PD beat me by nothing. But it was my first World Cup in Canada. Then I was, okay, all the season, it need to rain. <laughs> <laughs> but it was always something new in mountain biking that I never got bored. That's why I think this sport is amazing. And today, today I don't race anymore. And I was thinking I was only, be, I was only made for racing and competition. But at the end of the day, I realized, and yeah, standing at the top of the box is great. I learned as well really quick and when you're not top of the box, all of a sudden for journalists and stuff, you're nothing anymore. You know, like you need to learn this stuff. If not, you go into a depression because when they tell you, you are the king, you are the king, you are the king. And the next year, you are not the king anymore and no one take picture of you anymore. They don't come to your pits and give you interviews. You're like, it's hard because uh, the time they were spending on you to ask you questions because you was the hot guy, it is another hot guy now. And you're not the hot guy anymore. But you need to deal with all this. This is life. And I knew it from the young age. Like my dad always told me, you could be good today but with BMX, but tomorrow someone is going to be faster than you. It's always a faster or a slower guy than you. Like in life, it's always better than you and less than you. Then <clears throat> I start to realize this from the young age, and that's why... Uh, I was, okay, Cedric, give your best at least. I know you don't train so much, but whatever. I always try to give my best. And what I liked in MTB, it's, it was always something new. And I think I, when I came to MTB, in the beginning, it was nothing in terms of biking parts or whatever. It was the craziness. We wanted to win for the pride. And after it came the money a little bit, and I moved to America, and I was in the biggest team, and I was hanging out with cool people. I met friends from all over the world, and it was always new in my life, always new. Like I met you, I met Greg Minard, I was hanging out with Steve Pitt and Sean Palmer. Like from a French guy from Bougar Bay, like a, like a town with like 360 habitants, you know, like that's a dream already. Then that's why I was always looking back where I'm come from, because at the end of the day, mountain biking gave me so much 
than any other sport gave me. Then that's what I liked and I never get bored because today I don't race, but we create a brand of MTB with Forestal. I've been involved with production Privé for a long time before because I like where we are. I think our sport is sick and you don't need to be an athlete or a racer to love MTB. Like my dad loves MTB more than he rides his road bike and he's come from a road, road bike uh, guy. And now he rides his uh, e-bike and he's stoked. You know, like I think we have, we have a sick sport. Yeah, we do. And it's, it seems like a common thread that comes up is uh, you're close to your family. They instilled some very good values that, like my late father, I think would have beat it out of me if I didn't. But you've been quoted to say, like, and maybe that's why we connected a bit. Like, I, you know, my dad met you and you always had a lot of time for people, I think, that you connected with. My mom, there's a, you know, there's many people she asks about and you being one of them. How's CG doing? Or you always took the time to say hi to my mom at the race. You didn't have to do that. You're focusing on the race. But it seems like you came from almost humble beginnings and you've always tried to keep the feet on the ground. Like you've quoted to say like, I don't want to speak to you if you think your shit doesn't stink. Like we're all like humans, right? And it's quite natural that when you're winning races and when everyone's like, hey, your shit doesn't stink, you're the best, give me an interview. <laughs> like you... It, it does fuel the ego, does it not? Of course. Like, it's a no-brainer. Like, I think I did some arsehole shit when I was younger. I'll just say that. Because they pick you up, they put you on this pedestal, and you're like, shit, that's cool. I can do anything. I'm killing it at mountain biking. But, like, mountain bikings or racing bikes is, like, the smallest little thing. You're like this minuscule yeah. ant in the mountain bike industry. And then in the world, you're, like, even smaller, isn't it? Yeah, but that's that's the way it is. We think we are the hot shit, but because we live in a square box, but when you get out of that square box, you realize how small we are. But when you are in that box, you think you're you think you're Jesus or the president or whatever you relate to. You think you are. You are. You think you are. You're the only one who thinks, really. But And because all these people, like you say, like, feed you up, magazine feed you up, like, especially now, it's really difficult. Social media feed you up. I think it's a tougher for right now for those guys because now they need to be an athlete and they need to be on social media all day. Or you employ someone to do all your social media because sponsors don't want any winnings today. They want you to be number one on social media. Then that's another factor right now for those guys. But like you say, you always need your parents or your relatives to tell you and speak the truth. The truth hurts. The truth you need your parents, you need your family, you need your friend to tell you, hey, bro, don't be an idiot. No, it's okay. We're friends here. Like, you don't need to prove me nothing. Like, we are friends. I know you are. You know, and this is, I think it's something you don't, it's important to don't forget because biking, it's small. You need to do biking, and that's why it's a little bit difficult for me to relate to what it is happening today. I ride bikes because I love it. I love it so much. Then, then uh, every time I put my ass on the bike, I'm stoked. Uh, every time I look how hard it is outside, you know, for some people to get a job, to get a job they like. This is difficult. To get a job is one thing, but a job you like. Yeah, that you don't hate that, the guts it, out of it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a plus. And I know a lot of people, of course, we live in Andorra and we're fortunate in Andorra. We... 
uh, we live in a cool area, then we don't pay much taxes and we can ride bikes and we can ski. And yeah, but we still have to work, you know, like some people need to go to the supermarket and sell you the food, you know, then yes, we live in, in one area. It's already great, but that's the first time in my life, you know, and this, uh, I tell you this because it, I always have a fear since I'm a kid. Uh, when I was seeing people in the streets, you know, begging for food, you know, homeless. And I always, every time I see them, it hurt, it hurt me because I'm like, how did that guy end up here? How? Yeah, it's fascinating. Hey, yeah. how? Like what happened with the family or mental? I, I see that a lot in South Africa. It's, um, yeah. we are so fortunate. Yeah, we live in like yeah. a bubble, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I see this, it hurt me so much. Then I go home and I'm like, like, okay, if you see something like this, you need to help, you know. I, I remember when I was young, I was buying myself kebab and stuff, and I was asking if the guy wanted the food. And I remember the guy who saw my food, and I gave it to him. He was so stoked. And one day I got so disappointed because I get out of school, and I had, I was not making much money when I was in the beginning, like I told you, in Chamonix, because everything costs a lot of money. Then I was buying myself <laughs> a biscuit, you know, after school, because I was doing school and the biking and the skiing, you know, and before I go training, I need to eat something. And, and I had the same guy every day asking for money. And I get out and I bought two packets of biscuits, one for me and one for him. And he was kind of young and I give it to him and I'm like, hey, bro, this is for you. He looked at me, he's like, yeah, I prefer money. I look at him, I'm like, what do you mean? Is that, yeah, because like this, I can buy vino, uh, wine. Yeah, and I was, that's tough, huh? I, oh, I was, oh, I left him the pack of food. I left and I was like, you see, Cedric, lesson number one, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by some people. Because uh, I see some people who are really needed and you had some people who was trying to use that to make a living. Then uh, I was like, okay. Then now when I see people, you know, it creates a doubt in me and stuff, but now it's easy. You look at the eyes of the people and you realize, okay, he needs something. And some people will try to get money for free, you know, like whatever. But now, at the first time in Andorra, I saw people going to the trash and look for food in the supermarket trash. Then it means like, yeah, even here, we have problems on... Uh, on uh, what affect today the economy and uh, the virus and everything. And it hurts because uh, we are fortunate here and I was thinking we never come here, but everywhere, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere and yeah, we need to be happy uh, that we are first healthy and, and yeah, it's, it's gnarly, but uh, it is what it is, it's life. CG, do you think some of this reflection was also forced on you? I know you had a horrific accident, which you didn't speak a lot about how bad it was in the hospital. Us close to you knew about it. And I think I didn't even know exactly how bad it could have gone or was going. Um, when you're racing, you think that's like the only thing you should be doing. Or when you're injured, you're like, oh, I don't want to miss a race. But yeah. what, what about you? You had a really big crash. Well, you're um, talking about in Val de Sol. No, in oh, Val de Sol. Yeah, yeah you had a really big, yeah. scary accident yeah. due to a mechanical, which is not your fault. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was with Brooke and I was following him, and we entered the, the Val de Sol, the first corner, you know, where it is in, in those roots, and it's like big of camber. And I think a, a, a pole stick, uh, went, or a rock kicked my banjo, 
and all of a sudden I had no brakes and I couldn't avoid, uh, I have to avoid all the, you know, it was like a trees, like stumps and big rocks. And I saw a cameraman at the corner and I was aiming straight to him, like maybe 50K an hour. I'm like, if I, went, if I go straight to that guy, I kill him. Then I decide to try to make the corner and get bucked and I land on a stump and broke my pelvis in 40, <laughs> four zero pieces. What? Uh, and, um, the thing is, it's not the accident, like, uh, I mean, when I tried to get up, it was hard because my body went like this. One left and the other one was still on the ground. My hip was destroyed. They find out um, a piece of rocks all the way to my spinal on the back when they did the surgery uh, in France because uh, in Italy, not any doctor, uh, they all declined the surgery because they say it's impossible to fix it. Then I have to wait one month and a half, like one week to move to France, one week the, uh, before they learn the surgery. And uh, after I moved, after the surgery, I moved to Andorra and I stayed one month and a half in the hospital. But this, it's an accident, then okay, I could maybe never walk again because they told me I could never walk again. But I don't know, I got lucky. Uh, I walked and I can perform biking and I can ride. I have all my hip in titanium, but with all my bones inside because I put everything between two plates and uh, it worked. But uh, the road to recovery was long because uh, I lost a lot of weight and I wanted to perform and I wanted to ride bikes because I remember telling the, the surgeon, I'm like, hey, it's easy, bro. You're going to go home to your family tonight. And tomorrow you're going to wake up and your life didn't change. Today, for me, if I cannot walk again, I don't care too much. As long as I can ride my bike. He's like, yeah, but you have to understand that it's impossible to fix this. I will try because I say yes. And the guy was really young and he gave, and I told him like, okay, good luck. It was nine hour um, uh, surgery. And I told him, like, please, just make sure I can just turn the pedals. The rest in my life, I don't care. Because if you take this out of my life, I will probably die. Because I don't like walking. I don't like any other thing. The only thing will make me happy in life is just to turn the pedals. And he was like, I understand. I will try my best. And I did. And I could race again, even if it was only for a few races at the World Cup the year after. For me, it doesn't matter. I just come back on the bike that the shit I like the most, <laughs> I didn't care anymore. I was like, but the, the, the worst was after in Reunion Island, the cut in arterial because. Oh, is that the one? Is that the separate one when you lost all the blood? It is. Okay. Okay. Because it happened in two minutes. So you had that horrific accident that could have stopped your riding. And then you had, when you came back and you were going to go enduro. Yeah. Okay. So then you had an artery issue and that you thought you were going to die. Yeah, but I, I was dying. I knew your body is not stupid. You know, we, you know, in, in a normal life, uh, we make we make right or wrong decision. But when you come to that shit, you know you you know the truth. Like you know, your body tell you. Your body is shutting down by itself. It, it's okay. But you don't even 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 feel scared. You you're there. You know you know what's coming. You really know, what. Like, oh, I, I knew, I knew. Like it, it is one thing we shut down in your body, then you know that's your last ten minutes. You know that it, 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 we are made in one way, the human body. Then 
uh, we're smart. It's smart. The the hard in this is no you living because it's the way it is. That's the, the bleeding. You feel warm. You feel comfortable. Even if uh, the pain is high, doesn't matter because your body shut down into a reserve mode. Then you feel good. But what is the worst on that is to look your friends, your friends in the eyes, telling you no, no, you have to fight. No, you have to fight. Yeah, you're trying, but dude, like it's nothing you can do. Like you try your best, but you know because you're leaving, they are staying. They are staying with the last image of you is this, and there was horrible. I fight so hard to make sure like this don't happen because if not. In the next two minutes, I will say, hey, bye-bye, thank you, because I already say everything. He had the camera rolling. I say, my car, go to this. Don't worry, uh, my house. I have a life insurance. Don't worry for this. It's done. Uh, I did all the paper. If I die, then tell Papito uh, to take care of everything. Uh, I had everything planned. Then it was okay. Did you make, so did you actually have a like a side of yeah. peace that you you were okay if you had to go then? Like, there were, was there any regrets? No, 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 totally okay. I was like, because your body is so done, and I, I'm, I'm happy, because uh, when I lay down and I knew I was going, you think of what you've done in your life. And the only thing I could see was only positive stuff. I, I, I know I, I, I've, been, I've been a dick to a lot of people, but at the end of the day, the only thing I remember uh, when it was that time it's like all the enjoy I had of, you know, doing, but it's funny because you're living, you know, you're dying. And the only thing was coming to my mind. You know what it was doing whips on four cross racing. Dude, how stupid is that? Like you could be like, I don't know, you could lay down and say like, uh, I don't know, drifting a Ferrari or something. Or when, when I bought my first Ferrari, something who means a lot to me because I'm a car enthusiastic, like, I know it was to make more money, like, but you know, when you buy your first Ferrari, you, you should be like proud. And no, I didn't give a damn. The only thing I care, like when I close my eyes, is like doing those whips, you know, like this, you know, Monsantan with all the people, Japan, ah, oh, people yelling, like that was sick. That was the only thing I could remember. <laughs> but I mean, that's good because you definitely, you know, like that age old saying, if you're on your deathbed as an old person, you're ne you, no one's going to say, I wish I worked more. No one's going to say, I wish I had more money. You might say, I really? wish I spent more time with my family or I enjoyed my life. So it sounds like you're like, fuck it. I did give it my all to be good to the right people and, and have, you know, enjoyment along the way. But I mean, you worked yeah, hard. Yeah. You You worked... You say you didn't train, but I mean, I've <laughs> I've raced alongside you against you. I know how fit you are. So I think you gave it your all in, in mountain biking and in, and in life. Thanks for sharing that, CG. I mean, that's, that must be quite the story. And I guess I've learned some things. And, you know, you, you lost your mom during racing. And, and I lost my dad as I finished racing. And I think losing someone close or parents. And I've lost some friends as well. It's a real like slap in the face to make right or to make the right choices, you know, and maybe not chase the Ferrari because it's yeah. you get it and it's cool. I also bought a fast car and it was yeah. fun. I needed to scratch the itch and I'm glad I did. <laughs> I don't regret it. But then yeah, yeah. I sold it and I'm like, 
my life's the same, if not better. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's a cool lesson I've been through. Great. Yeah. But if you're a car enthusiastic, fuck, if it makes you a little bit more happy, buy the car. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm... not saying don't buy the car, but I'm like, it's, yeah, yeah. That's a, it's, it's crazy. And I think you sharing that makes us realize and maybe we can learn from those experiences and not have to go through them personally. Yeah. I don't yeah. want anyone to go through the loss of family, the loss of parents, <laughs> yeah, or, no, no. or maybe having to stare my friends in the eye making peace that you you're dying interest yo dude i'm actually i don't have any words i don't i'm babbling that's crazy i I had to go through this shit like uh, as much as you go through your family uh it is we are going to lose someone sooner or later like everyone uh, we try to prepare you for this you will never be prepared no and and you could never explain how much it, it hurts but the week after I was in Spain to raise that World Cup when I lost mom. I know. And I everyone yeah. told me, stay home. You're not able to race. And I'm like, no, I need to race. I need, I need to race. And my mom, dad, yeah. Like, what should I do? Stay home and cry? I'm like, no, that's that. It ha- it, this happened to some kids who are eight years old, seven years old, or, or people who never have family. Then, no, I need to swallow up, be a man, and uh, she she educates me to be here today. And uh, you, I was always like, she will see what you do, doesn't matter. And I, and I know I'm not the kind of person who is like, we see a lot of religious people, but I think I kind of are in my own way. It's not because I don't go to church every Sunday. I always had respect for... Uh, the religion and stuff like that. And I remember for me, my religion, because I think it's only mine, is just sometimes to think about those people. Those people. You think about them and they make you happy. And sometimes you, when you do good, you think about them as well. And that's it. It's not, and sometimes when something shit happened to me, I just think about them as well to see we like, we all the same, I think. We try to get help the way we can. And and when I do good or when I did something good and I'm happy about it, sometimes I, I'm like everyone, I go to bed and I close my eyes and I think about those people because they are important. They are who we are today and there's nothing wrong about this. And, uh, but it was hard, like, like you say, like losing family is, is the worst because that's the only thing we care really. Like family is first for sure. Yeah, it's the hardest thing. I think I'm lucky, me personally, that I of course I want more time or go do some things differently, but I didn't have any regrets about, I wish I'd said this. I wish I hadn't done that. I was very lucky, but I didn't know it was happening just like you, you know, like happened quick, but luckily there was no unfinished business on both sides. So I can, and I was lucky. I had a, a great upbringing and not everyone has a great upbringing, but you're right. It can always be worse. And it's like how you look at it. And for sure it's hard. Like, I don't ignore it. I don't block it out and say it's hard and I don't, it never happened. I'm like, it's hard. And I choose to remember all the shit he taught me or how much he enjoyed being at the races or meeting someone like you or making a barbecue for you guys. Like, I remember that's so cool. He, (laughs) he loved it, dude. He worked his ass off to like go to Sea Otter just to stand in the sun so he could, yeah, I guess watch me and my brother, but also like you guys be part of it. So it brought a lot of joy. Um, the sport yeah. and stuff to to him as well you know what I'm always curious about and I'm lucky that I've got you in front of me because I've now retired from racing or like trying to stand on a podium 
trying to train and be the best for whatever reason it is. And what was it like for you to say, okay, I'm retiring from competitive racing and, and that part is now dead for the lack of a better word. What was it like mentally to step away? Well, if it was me, I would try to do like more. Like, but one day we was uh, at my house in Andorra and I like to have the syndicate at home and Rob Roscoe. Rob Roscoe and myself are more friends than anything else. And I love Rob for what he achieved as a skateboarder, as a, as a man. And for me, is is more than this. He's such a visionary. He sees shit so much ahead. And he's come from skateboarding. Uh, I don't know. This always surprised me. And, and the kind of person, every time I had an accident, I remember him calling me uh, uh, as fast as my parents will do. And it was uh, Rob and myself always been really good friends because we true to each other and we always say the truth. And he, when I had no more sponsor after my accident, he just came. He's like, "You're you're going to ride for Santa Cruz because you know when you like this, we need to talk as well. When you're on the bed for a month and a half or two, or you crash too much too often." Don't forget, people don't see the investments coming back anymore. You're not a guy who can sell more bikes or a guy who can sell more. Then all of a sudden, some of your sponsor, and you will learn quick, some legit sponsors and some bad sponsors. And this is what I've always been lucky. I've always been lucky to be able or have the chance at least to choose my sponsors for royalty and for... Uh, more than only sponsorship. That's why today those people are still my sponsors. But I, I went into a situation, I had to go to court. I had to go to court for people not paying me and try to, and it happened no later than uh, first coronavirus. Bye-bye, Cedric, bye-bye. Yeah, but you have a contract, bro. Yeah, but coronavirus, sorry, we cannot pay it. Oh, but people think, you know, like we a mountain biker, we are dumb, we not went to school for too long. Don't worry. I know what it is, a lawyer, and I know people are good for this, and I know they cost quite a bit of money, but uh, we're not that dumb, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it, it traveling the world or growing up quickly at 18, it makes you super street smart, and what else do you want to be, really, you know? And Rob, and Rob, you know, like uh, I was with Rob and I always learned what he's saying because coming from skateboarding, he's older than me and he always had great advice. And he's like, you know, we drink a glass of red wine at the house, like easy. And we have to race next day. And I qualify almost uh, last of qualifier because I was racing at home. I was so stressed. I wanted to do good in Andorra. It is my race track. It's my own track. And I'm like, I want to do good. I want to do top five. You know, I want to do so good. The track, like I, I was going so fast. But because he came to my country, to my track, I lost everything. I was so happy to look at all my competitors having fun on my track. I, I lost everything. And I wanted to spend time with my friends and take care of the track and make sure people are happy. I was not in a race anymore. I was making sure everyone was stoked about the race. Then I was with Rob drinking wine at night. And he's like, Cedric. I think tomorrow is going to be your last race. And I look at him and I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, let's call it tomorrow. You've been, you've been going through so much shit. We cannot puncture the ticket every year. Yeah. Because I had the accident in uh, Italy. I had after the Arteria. Uh, after the Arteria was a little bit later, but uh, I had many crashes. And, it, and Rob, 
Rob saw me, you know, fighting to come back and fighting and fighting. That's probably when I say I don't train, that's where I realized that I was training. When I come back from accident before I was training, but nothing. After that, I understand, okay, what is a proper athlete have to be from diet, food, from, you know, training every day with a trainer and all that. And I'm like, Cedric, let's call it tomorrow. He went and bought some cigars. I did my last run. We didn't say to anyone. And I say, yeah, that's it. It's over. I didn't plan anything because I didn't want to do like a big, okay, I'm retired or whatever. He came from his side. He's like, Cedric. And I looked at him. We talked. We drink more wine and a little bit more wine. I'm like, you're right. He said, well, you have to prove more. Then you can do more. You want to win the overall World Cup. You want to be world champion. It's not going to happen. You're never going to be world champion. But did it affect your life? No, because I never run after a jersey. But of course, if someone give it to me, except the junior one I got, I would, I would take it. But the overall standing, you never got it. You got second. I'm like, yeah, I'm a Poulidor. I'm the uh, Poulidor of a race. The, the bride's the bridesmaid. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I, I, I don't even have a sour feeling because that's the spot I deserve. I never deserved to be the number one in the world. I think I was okay in different disciplines, but I never, I never was the best of everything. But it doesn't matter. Every time I was on the bike, though, I was smiling. And I was like, yeah, this is sick. Then I say, okay, this is over. This is over. Thank you very much. I retired from DH racing. It was over. We got so drunk that night. <laughs> Dude, I remember. Yeah, there's, there's a few that I, I shouldn't remember it, but there's a few that I remember. And that's... Yeah, but I I, uh, I guess I, how do I put this? Sometimes I say to people, well, and this is no excuse. I think you should, if you're in sport or in business, you should aspire to be your best or the best. That's f hell yeah, hell yeah. But also along the way, and eventually it's going to end, I said to myself, I same as when I retired or maybe when you retired, like Roscoe probably said, dude, it's going to happen anyway, whether it's next year or in two years or after another big crash. And like in 20 years, you're going to have wine with Roscoe or hopefully we see each other in person one day. And like, I don't give a shit if you're a world champion or not. And in 20 years, I don't think you'll really care. Like you'll, you know, does it really matter? Like other things are going to matter. I guess when you get of age, you realize that. But at the time, it's tough, right? To say, hey, I'm done, even though you know it's going to end, but you don't, you know? It's like, um, I think it's really important what you say, so because all the people are going to listen to that podcast. Um, that's why we have a lot of accidents and actually people who make end of their life because they've been treating so high like gods, like they start to believe in it. And when you start to believe in it, the, the fall, the step, when it all shut down, is even higher. Are you talking about uh, retiring from professional sport? Yeah. Exactly. Or maybe retiring from a successful high-stress job? Yeah. I love this topic. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. This, this is uh, from sport, but from a, a successful broker or a successful businessman, whatever. You can take this to any or successful social media guy, successful YouTuber, successful whatever. When it comes so quick and you start to believe in it, the day that thing shut down, obviously, you're not going to have that feed anymore. They're going to take it out from your mouth. Then you don't understand why, 
And this is going to be hard because all of a sudden you don't get the interest that you used to have. And this, the step in, and we see people, I'm sorry to say, but people that kill themselves. That is for sure. It's a, it's, it's so easy to get depressed and rely on alcohol. We've seen it in the road, like the road cyclists chase that high of like the pain of the Tour de France, the highs and the lows. And they chase it with like cocaine and stuff like that. And I mean, look at Pantani. You look from the outside, you're so successful. And when you pull that away, if you associate yourself with results, you associate yourself with success or the feeling that everyone gives you. You need to be prepared. That's why you need your family to always bring you the feet to the ground. You always need to think, uh, uh, you know, sometimes being alone and try to think about who you are and where you want to go. And you know, this eventually is going to come. And it was hard for me. When all of a sudden I don't go to the races at the World Cup with my team, my American truck, my thing, like to look cool for the sponsors, to have the right bike, uh, to make happy my sponsors, to make happy my fans. Who make me happy? Only me. That if this is all gone, all my fans is gone because I don't go to the races. I'm glad we have social media because sometimes, uh, you know, like they follow you on your social media, what your life is doing after racing and all that. But... You know, like when you had such a powerful feeling when you go to the races where people come to your pit and ask you for craft, for your gloves, for they look at you with those those eyes, those kids, you know, like they they they, they look at you, they they're dreaming when they look at you. And like I've seen kids around you, dude, they like they're yeah. in awe and all you did even 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 the moms. Well, for you, <laughs> I didn't have moms running after me, but for you, yeah, I've seen that. But we di- we digress and we're making fun, but it's uh, it's easy for it to happen. They they think they make you out to be God. They're so excited to see you. And all you did really, in theory, was ride a bike, probably started earlier than someone else, had some natural talent, worked at it, sacrificed, and you just did that more than another person. It's like... Yeah, well... We never had, well, you're lucky because you live in a different atmosphere than we do. Like you had summer. We never had summer. The summer, my friend was drinking in the Fete de Bayonne, Fete de Dax, woo party, I was racing. But the sacrifice of that, I didn't care. And, and I'm a party boy because I know how we have a party if we do good in the weekends. But of course, my friend, we have a separate life. But uh, you had... When you're an athlete like this, like you say, like the people bring you who you are. The only thing you do is riding your bike, but they put you who you are. They lift you so high when this drop is hard, you know, like, and I think it's something you need to be prepared. Even those days, you need to be prepared on that because sport can sport or whatever, or being the best YouTuber or being the best or what you do in life puts you so high on the standing then when this all fall down, you could be broken for life. That's why um, uh, things are important uh, for me. Of course, now I want less than I used to want. I want. I used to want to have uh, many houses around the world, uh, many cars, because I know I was making business with cars. Like I could buy a Lambo or a Ferrari for this price and resell it for a soccer player for 20 grand more. 20 grand or 25 grand. It's some things that some people who wake up every day at 8 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night to get and to feed his family. You know, all this kind of stuff. Then, oh, when all this is gone, you know, you need to realize, okay, what's important? Like for me now, I'm 42 years old. 
what's important is like to make sure my family is great. Like that's why I take care of them with COVID. We had the COVID and I need to take care of all the family because everyone was, this shit is bad. It, it affected me a little bit. Uh, we got it the 24th and now my dad is still is diabetic and three uh, uh, heart um, uh, surgery. Then he's fighting every day. That's for me right now what's most important. Take care of my family. And what's next? If I can escape during the day, doing what I love the most is training, uh, ride my bike and do a little bit of skiing. And if in a weekend it is a drifting, racing with a, with a buggy, yes, that's what I'm uh, escape right now. The, I used to want much more when I was younger. I wanted to have everything. And it's normal. This, this is being ambitious. But always we have to don't forget 80% of all this bullshit, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. You're losing your spirit and your mind on doing stuff. That's why I lost myself on racing as well. I wanted, I received my hammer, my H2 hammer at the world championship in Leger when I was there to leave and win and try to win. I was more happy of racing my car that day because it was H2 and I could bring everyone in the mountain. <laughs> then I got lost sometime as well. Then it is what it is. Like. It's, it's fascinating. I've been speaking about it quite a lot. It pops up on this podcast. Um, I've got to know Matt McDuff. You know, he did that loop of doom and he was chasing. He, 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 I'm going to drop that episode or it might have dropped. I don't know. Who knows with the internet and the timings. But he was chasing the high. He was chasing the accolades. He was chasing the fame. That's why he said it, it was never going to work. He was doing the loop for the wrong reason. It's a, it's a fascinating interview. Wow. And we spoke about this, the ego. We spoke about retiring. And for sure, it's, what, it's, it, it's probably one of my hardest mental challenges is to adapt. And I'm super fortunate. I'm lucky. I'll be the first to say I'm grateful. I still have a role in the industry that I do love like you. The people are cool. I have a skill. And, great. and, and yeah. yeah, so from the outside, everyone's like, what are you talking about? You do great. The same as Martin Sonnestrom. Like, why you? Why did you have an anxiety attack? Why did you feel down? Like, you have it great from the outside. But you yeah, never know what someone's yeah, yeah, going yeah. through. And yeah. I would say, and it's sounding like for you, it's it's been a big challenge to walk away. And for me, for sure, one of the biggest mental challenges or the biggest that I will continue to adapt and grow and evolve. And I've heard, you know, Michael Phelps came back from winning that millionth gold medal. He was depressed. He did everything to get that medal, you know, like achieve that goal. And then he comes home and he's just, okay, now what? What do I chase? You know, like the phone stops yeah. ringing. Sean White as well. Like when you have all that yeah. success, where do you go from there? So Thanks for sharing that. I think it is such a big challenge and I don't think enough people speak about it for say to help sportsmen. You know, because it hurts. It yeah, hurts to talk. We, we ignore to be it. a grown man. Yeah. I would never talk about this when I was 18, 19. I would tell you, what are you talking, bro? We're rolling. We're rolling. <laughs> yeah. We have beer in the fridge. We're going to win some races. We have couple girls in front of the pits. Woo, we're good. Because the, the desire are not the same and we don't see more far than what it is uh, tomorrow. Like, I, I start to see too much um, in one point in my life uh, what uh, I want to do and what I want to be. And, 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 and I realized too quick that 
I'm aiming, I'm, I'm aiming the, the, the wrong thing. I want to be too much of a person uh, and uh, of a high, high, high person. And I realized, what for, Cedric? What for? And I realized that the Cedric I like is a Cedric who uh, start to be with a friend at the bar and maybe sometime he will show his ass and, uh, and uh, whatever, whatever. But that's what make me happy. It make, it make me happy. I just, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy and slide some tires in the dirt and driving some buggy or whatever will make me happy or whatever, whatever. I just like to see my dad stoked all the like, what are you doing, Cedric? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think you've left us with some nuggets and um, you're still inspiring us on, an, on, a, on a different way now. I do want to understand, like, why don't you catch us up on, you've told what still motivates you, you're ambitious, um, the new challenge for you is you're launching uh, a new bike brand. And we do have like some listener questions, we'll jump around, but they're asking, when is it going to launch? And I want to know when it's going to launch. You freaking, you hyped it up on social media now. <laughs> what, what's happening? So you're launching a bike brand, you're in the trenches there helping, what's going on? Wow, it's all a fake. It's fake news. <laughs> Is it fake news? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fake news. Well, um, let's tell the story. Uh, I had two partners. Uh, they came to Andorra. I bring them resident of Andorra. They're healthy people. They're, they're um, internet, uh, gaming, young entrepreneur uh, who love bikes. And uh, they create a business uh, of making... Yeah, money in other business, but they love bikes and they come to me and I was in my point in my life and what do I do? Uh, what do I do? I want to do something. What do I do? What do I do? But you know, I already have production privé. Uh, we make uh, stamp handlebars and chromo uh, frames. And I know to get over a step in MTB, you need so much cash to get that step of like uh, breaking 500,000 to making a million, but this is with sales and stuff and playing the employee and you don't make much, you know? Then I was like, what do we do? And that's what I do since the beginning, putting money in PP and in different stuff. Then some of them became success, some of them not, because you accept that it's a lot of people who never happen anything to them because they never do anything. Then you cannot lose money if you don't do stuff, but I don't have any regrets in my life. I go for it. I go for it. And if I'm convinced about something, I go for it. It doesn't matter. For me, money is just one thing. You have it one day. You don't have it the other day. We talk. It don't make you even more. But I will live with regret of like, I wish I have done that. I'm not a guy. Then I go for it. Uh, we did with uh, Monkey Sauce. Uh, now I'm doing it with Forestal. But Forestal, basically, I was always wanted to, uh, to create a bike brand difference than PP. PP is more niche of people who like chromoly, something nice from car racing. This, I wanted to do something about new technology. Um, I've always been fascinated with what Tesla was able to create. I don't drive a Tesla, and we never drive one, I think. But I really like what they create. I mean, when you're facing against General Motors, uh, our... Uh, all the Germans, companies, I mean, what they did is just brilliant. That guy was, for me, it's brilliant. What yeah, he's did. a crazy good thinker. I mean, he's an underdog to, to even think of going up against those guys, which is still going to be a challenge for forever. Bring people to the space. You think that's great? That's crazy. Do we need people like that, don't we? 
It's so exactly. cool. He's a South exactly. African or born South African. Just want to throw yeah. that out there. Uh, uh, that's why. That's why. Well, I'm just that's saying. It's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> then, then uh, you know, they came to me and it's like, Cedric, uh, um, we, we cr- we're going to create what you want. And I'm like, oh, what you, <laughs> why do you know what I want? He's like, uh, you want to have your own brand. I'm like, yes, I want to have my own brand, but I don't want to have uh, just another brand. What is the point to go and fight with people? Then we just create another bike with two wheels. Who cares? Yeah, it's so much competition, it's a, huh? It's already many of them. It's okay. I'm going to save your time right now. Don't lose your money on creating something new when you already make good money. Go to holiday with that money. Go to holiday, enjoy your family, your young, whatever. Buy all the cars you want. It's okay. I, you know, I don't want you to risk that money. He said, no, 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 we want to do it. I'm like, okay, it's easy. You want to listen what I want? I want a computer in my bike. I want to have the new Tesla of MTB. I want something light who perform as much on a heavy bike. And I want something in carbon who look great and will look totally different than what is on the market today. And I want to create my own engine. I want to create my own battery. I don't want to, ha- I don't want to depend from anyone from the business who is creating all my frame. I mean, of course, we have to buy wheels, suspension, and all that. For sure, we have great yeah, yeah. But the like the the frame, and you want to go ground up and be different. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I told them. I remember because I didn't know how much all this cost. Huh? I was really ignorant. Really ignorant. And I said, <laughs> I want to have an engine who works the way I want. I don't want an engine who do all the job for me. I want a battery uh, who is totally waterproof. And I want this and I want that. Like, okay, we do it. And I'm like, those guys are 35 years old. They look at me because I'm older. It's like, okay, we do it. And I'm like, oh my God, what I've done. What I've done. And we start to create all this. And we start to create the engine. And we start to create the, the template. I mean, creating that template that it's a full phone on the frame. We, we, we give you your G-Force in the corners we give you if you put uh, each mode is going to calculate basically how long you can go if you get uh, a mode number four or nitro it we of course your range will be smaller and when i wanted to have something on my bike i wanted to have 18 kilo bike i say i don't want lighter i don't want more heavy 18 is great and we have to aim for that and we we start to work and develop everything, and it took until now. And now we went two weeks ago before I got the COVID. We went uh, to AINSA for one week with all the engineers, all the bikes running, and to do all the trails they had in one week to see if the bike could perform, didn't break, uh, the, 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 the software didn't break, uh, to see if it's realistic as well, the kilometers with antennas, because uh, we GPS related, uh, because the bike is geolocalization. If someone steered it, we always know where it is. Then so many things, like I have a full team of like 15 engineers. How many employees total right now? Uh, 50. Five zero. Yeah, and that's the beginning. So classic we, CG, go big or go home. Uh, I told them, is uh, if we do something, and the only guy who was who knew about all this because I asked, you need to ask the master. When you start something that big, you ask the master. And I ask, hey, Rob, you're my friend. I want to do this. Do you think it's real? I was like, he looked at me, he's like, go for it. And I was like, oh my God, because for me, when I see the success of Santa Cruz, how it starts and how it goes and where it's going, 
no one can explain how it is. It was just the right timing and what they do. It's great because they create some things and people are waiting for the new one to come. And that's what I liked about Santa Cruz and I always liked forever. Then, you know, I asked him, it's like, I really want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me and Rob know me, you know, like, if I have an idea, if I don't do it, I will I regret it for life. Then he's like, go. What can happen? You fuck it up. Yeah, what's the worst case? What's the worst case? You guys fail, some people lose some money, and you learn some crazy lessons along the way. Yeah. But every day I ride this bike, and every day I think we're on the right track because we create such an engine, then it's not the normal engine. Like you put the power, and it just, the first crank is going to do all the job. No, no, my engine is different. You push the pedal in each mode is going to be proportional. How much power you give to the pedal is going to give you the same proportion uh, back. Then we have a lot more torque. We have a light engine, a light battery, but you can still do 50K. Then when you go down here, it's a 170 bike, but the thing is it behaves uh, like like you have a normal enduro bike to go down. That was basically what I wanted. And I wanted to have that new technology of what we see on cars. And I wanted I didn't want to have my phone in my hand to, to connect my bike. I wanted to have a full screen on the bike. I want to have a screen that I can go with my gloves, dirt, olive oil, dog shit on it, <laughs> and be able to see how fast I went, uh, where is home, uh, go on the map, like basically you do with your phone or your tablet every day. And that was the big challenge. And I say, we, the bike is done. The technology is done. We're producing already in Andorra. But we're facing coronavirus. It means it's hard to get suppliers to deliver the stuff because obviously, uh, folks, if you're in the business industry, you will understand what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, when the coronavirus arrived, everything shut down. Then uh, delayed. Yeah, the there's huge that, delays. The lead time's ridiculous. And you have, and I think I have my theory on that, and I don't think I'm not too far from the truth. Oh, this is going to be... This is going Oh, to we're going to blow the internet up. Hell, let's have it. I think people, like uh, what's happening right now, it's like uh, what's happening in other industry before. People who have the money have the control. Then what you will do when you have the control and you have the money and you're a big uh, bike maker, you will go to every company in Taiwan or in China who produce whatever you need on the bike and put a blank check on the table and say, you know what? Everything is going to go out to your factory is going to be mine. Oh. And I'm going be your only buyer. Interesting, yes? yeah. And I don't think I'm too far. And this is how I call the demand, of course, and the supplier thing. But um, that's how you squash the little. Well, I mean, you can go bigger in the world. The money talks and you see it with government, like small businesses getting throttled bad. But let's not. You've been so good with your time, CG. I actually want to be respectful of it. But there's some good listener questions, some more that I have. So if it's cool with you, I'd like to wind down. But, hey, if you don't need to go anywhere, you answer these as long and no, as no, quick no. as you want. 
Now but I, I actually enjoy this. I want to say how cool that sounds. I want to say how res I respect that. It's totally in your nature to go big or go home. The industry needs it. The world needs it. So we wish you all the luck with this. And, <laughs> and I feel you steering the ship, you're not going to let no. it go down without a huge big fight, you know? That's... If it go down, I go down with it. Yeah, but that's that's great, dude. We need more of those. So I've got some that came in. I uh, I can't say where they came from. Oh, it's okay. Have you ever been asked to leave a kid's soccer game for cheering too loud and maybe having a few too many morning mimosas? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. Uh, I did because uh, since uh, when I was a kid, I was a soccer player as well. And I remember he always handed up into a fight. Then uh, when I... And I know where it's come from, I think. And it, when I come to America and stuff like that, I'm the same. I'm like, go, go, go. And, uh, and uh, sometimes when I see the judge or the arbitre not doing his job, I, def I, def I definitely want to go across the field and tell him how it's done. <laughs> I did. I did. Nice. Have you, and with a bit of reflection, what's one of the best trails tracks you've ever ridden? You say how much you enjoy riding. If I say gun to your head, one track that comes to mind that you just love? What? What, Andorra Downhill Track? <laughs> no, no, because it would not be fair. I think A-Line in Whistler. I or, know, or, right? Or, or you free, can just... free train. Or free train, like, yeah, like, it doesn't matter. I, uh, it's awesome, especially when you have a group of 10 people just training each other and doing whips, whips, whips. I, I love this. Okay, it don't sound really technical. Yeah, maybe, but... I don't care. That's what I like to do. Jump high and far or whatever and follow people and just try to put the bike sideways and laugh about it, you know, without even putting a crank. Yeah, I think I could ride that trail every day, especially like you say, with the right crew and it's just everyone having so much. So thanks to LW Mag for that. People have been sending in, sending in. Okay, tell us something people don't know about you. That'll be tough because you're not scared to tell people or let your life be exposed? Is there something we don't know about you? Well, it's many, but we choose one. Um, I went to jail before World Championship in Colorado. The night before my focus, and I get second next day. I slept in jail. Why? Uh, I went... Or tell us what you're allowed to tell us. <laughs> I was in a woman's bathroom. Uh, my girlfriend was sick. I think she, she got roofy. And um, it was a big party, and I didn't want to mess up before World Champ. And um, uh, I went and helped her, and I couldn't understand what she had. And she was so drunk all of a sudden with just one drink. And one girl uh, knocked at the door, and I opened the door. I was in the woman's toilet, and I told her, hey, please, can you leave me alone? My girl is sick, and I closed the door. And a lady uh, came uh, to the bartender and told her that I punched her. And it was totally untrue. And uh, what I didn't realize, it was another girl in the toilet. We see the full story. Obviously, I didn't see because I was in the door taking care of my girlfriend. Then the police arrived, arrest me. I went to sleep um, on the floor in Colorado uh, office, uh, police station. I walked away in the morning because uh, they paid, Oakley paid my... Uh, bail. Uh, my, yeah, your my, bail. My bail. I went and take a shower and uh, disaster. I opened the news and I saw... Uh, the 11, what happened in New York, and from sleeping uh, in the in the in the in the police and see what happened uh, the next day, it was a disaster. We raced. I got second. 
I went home. I have to go to court. I remember the country was a disaster from America. It was like horrible. And I, and I did nothing. And it was horrible for me as well. And I had to go to court. If not, I could never come back to America. And one lady say what happened exactly. And I had to go to court on the phone. And the, the judge say, yes, you're not lying. We are so sorry. Uh, but uh, when you come to America, uh, try to behave. And I'm like, I will do, sir. I will do, sir. <laughs> That's crazy. So you were in jail the night before getting on and the I boat got second. and you still got second. Oh, that's too good. Another one, since I'm South African, I'll definitely read this one. Favorite part about the World Cup after parties in South Africa? Oh my God, the rugby player are rough in your country. I vuvuzela all the beers and it was crazy. Oh, someone is calling in the house. I'm, I'm at my girlfriend's house. Sorry for the sound. Oh, and, no, uh, it's all good. It's authentic. It was, it was crazy, like uh, the party in South Africa. I don't even remember half of it because I remember I was at the Oakley um, after party thing, after the race, Vuvuzela, all the drinks, and I start to wrestle with all rugby players from South Africa. I forgot that was big, you know. That's alcohol make you think bigger than you are. You think you're a tough ball, and they start to toss me around everywhere. It was like crazy. And the next day, I wake up at the syndicate house, and I start to eat sandwiches with uh, cellophane paper of it, uh, on, the, on the top of it. I was hitting it, and I don't remember where I was. My girlfriend had to pick me up, put me in the van, and drive me somewhere. She didn't know how to drive the left side, the right side. Oh my God, it was it was crazy, but it was one of the best party ever. So. I just remembered something which you might not. So oh, sure. South Africa Stellenbosch ninety ninety eight. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, but I'm too young for the party. You can tell me about the party, but for the listener at home, I <laughs> was thirteen. So I go and I'm doing the citizens downhill, and I'm people like CG are there. I've obviously never met him, John Tomac. Dude, it's I'm in a I'm in heaven, and because it's South Africa and the laws are a bit laxed, the shuttle to the top was with Land Rovers and trailers, and there wasn't always enough space. And for some reason, the citizens started sitting on the top of these Land Rovers. But classic CG, you were like, "That looks good. I'll do that." So you weren't like too cool to sit in the van or on the trailer legally. You were like, "Fuck it, I go on the top." So I remember seeing you go up Stellenbosch. It's called Hauswurte Pass for the South African listeners. And you were on the top of a Land Rover going to the top of a downhill. I don't even know if you remember that. I, I, I remember um, to do many runs, you had to go, you had to go, you know, like all around, all around, all around. And uh, we sit, we sit uh, uh, waiting for the big truck, uh, big truck for the cow food, uh, the Abel thing. We was waiting, was the thing, and it was enough room, never enough room for anyone. Then I'm like, uh, well, let's do the African way. Let's jump in and put the bikes in there, go in there, and I loved it. Yeah. It was, and I loved the track as well, and, uh, and and the people and everything. But the after party, man, it was so good. Palmer was naked on the top of the bus doing. Uh, uh, left and right on the top of the bus on the snowboard. I was too busy having a good time with a, a South African lady in the back of a car. I think 
I think between you, Sean Palmer, from what I hear, Basta Beaver, I was too young, but I heard the rumors. I think there's certain places you're not allowed back in in Stellenbosch. And these pubs have been around for years and seen a lot of crazy student activity. But well, let's see Greg Binar. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Greggy. Now I start to know because, you know, Greg and me always... We never understand each other too much before, you know, like uh, when we was racing, I think it was a little bit of jealousy on myself and uh, Greg is a really spectacular racer and uh, being an agent, uh, maybe not liking to have someone like me uh, loud and craziness around him, I think. But I think it's a big misunderstanding when we was racing. I think our rival, rival, I wanted to beat him and he wanted to beat me. And I think he was a lot better than me. But now we know each other a lot more. It's amazing because he come here in Andorra, he ride bikes, we ride bikes together. I mean, we had so much fun. I do barbecue at home. He come to the house and we, we drink some beers and burn some meat. And I think this is awesome. Yeah, it seems like back in the day, the, the competition and rivalry is a lot harder than it was now. And you, wow. we've spoken about that. I think it's cool to see the riders getting on, and I, but I do think under the cover, everyone wants to kill each other. But, I mean, I guess it's the kids are coming with age. I do like the new French crew. I think they're uh, making you and the French riders proud, definitely. I think they grow together uh, on the young age racing bikes. We never grow together racing bikes. We just arrive from all around the world and start to fight and be the number one in the world. Then uh, they have more base of uh, they grow up all together, like uh, Bruni, Vergier, uh, Amore, all that. They, they did the, the, the young school at MTB from France, you know, like we have a strong... We, I never did this because it doesn't exist, but... Uh, after that, uh, they, they, they create something for like 10 or 11 years old kind of racing. And uh, that's how they grow and they know each other. They shine there and they start racing all together to the World Cups. So that's why. But for me, like, like I say, when I see people congratulate a friend of him because he did better than him in our age, he would never exist. Ever. <laughs> I, 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 I throw my helmet. I go home. I'm like, Why? Why I'm so shit? Why? Oh, oh man! I was I went at the bar. We was all friends. When you come to the beep beep, oh, no friends anymore. We was racing to win. Who pissed you off the most if they beat you? Oh, Fabian Barrel, bro. Oh, <laughs> FBI. Oh, no, because uh, I, I don't know. I, it's just always being a rival stuff between yeah. each other. The but same. now, I like, think, if now, you see now, him in the bar, is now, it cool? Yeah, of course. But I think the, the worst was Bullios. We didn't like each other because people give me some shit, so much shit of Bullios. And they was doing the same to Bullios ear of Cedric. We didn't like each other. But when we stopped racing, we just, oh my God, we, we had such a good time. We go to the bar and we talk about all this. And he says, sorry, I was such a dick. I stay in my truck because that's the only way I could perform. And I'm like, yeah. But it's okay. I didn't know that. For me to perform, I had to go to the bar and drink some gin and tonics. It's okay. Then now you're doing that now, but I already did it. Then now I can relax and you can go to the bar. And <laughs> 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 it was funny. And with Fabian, it was just like, uh, you know, the last young guy you bring in the team at Sun. Poor guy. Fabian, if you listen to this, I'm so sorry about all the bucket of piss I threw your head. And I'm so sorry I poo-poo into a plastic bag and I throw it to you. I'm so sorry, but I was young and 
Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was hard for Fabian. It was hard for Fabian. I, I, it was, I was a nightmare for Fabian, but I felt like I was a growing up guy who need to teach him in life. Then I think I did good because look at who he is today. He's a team manager of Canyon and he's a great, I think, engineers. And but I was rough. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Fabian. I was. A, yeah, I went to next level with you, but uh, that's okay. We didn't die. Cedric, and if you left, say, the younger generation with something, like some sort of advice or something now that you're experienced, what, what would you tell them? I guess you're also speaking to your younger self. Don't uh, be focused on what you do. Give your best. Like this, you don't have any regrets. That's the only good thing I did. But try to be more serious than I do, uh, because uh, I probably regret sometimes. Instead of going to bed, I went to the bar until really early morning. Then um, next day, I, we probably should win. I didn't. But at the end of the day, this is only about racing, and it's not only it was only important at the time. And you will see with age. Uh, all this stuff is just past, and uh, but you will always remember the laugh. Remember the laugh is for me the most important, and the stories you did around the world because that's what you're going to bring when you die. The laugh, the laugh, and see people happy. That's that's what it matters really. Like you need to make people stoked because life is already shitty enough. You need to laugh. <laughs> 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 someone, someone said to me, uh, um, if you stress, you die. If you don't stress, you die. <laughs> so you might as well not stress too much. Yeah. And obviously, even if the conditions are bad right now with Corona, just leave the life the fullest. The fullest. At the end of the day, what it matters. The, the fullest. Because at the end of the day, you will never have regrets. You will probably laugh on your own mistakes. And, and, and this is good. Just. Just do it. CG, this has been so good, speaking of laughs. But I think you've also, under, under all that fun and stuff, you've left us with so many life lessons. And I just want to say thanks so much for yeah, being yeah. actually a friend on the circuit. You took me under your wing. Um, thanks for what you did for the sport. Thanks for your time with us. It went, I could go on for hours. And for sure we'll have to do a version two and share some uncut stuff but we still oh. got a few people we need to keep happy so maybe we'll delay the those stories but thanks so much cg that was awesome thank you very much for everything for the opportunity and uh like you say in the country yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you very much boys cheers buddy one last thing before you leave thanks so much for downloading this episode if you enjoyed it please share it with a friend and if you'd be so kind make sure you subscribe so you don't miss another episode leave a review and a rating please five star if you can it really goes a long way and i appreciate getting all the messages and responses i do get so thanks very much till the next one stay well Okay, okay, one last thing. Don't run yet. This episode is proudly brought to you by E13, and it's your lucky day. If you head over to the website, e13.com, that's the letter E, 13 spelled out.com, you can pop a discount code in, netling21. That's spelled out N-E-E-T-H-L-I-N-G, and then the numbers two and one. 
you can get a whopping 15% off. So don't miss out. You can search and buy whatever you want on that website, pop in that discount code, save it if you're thinking of buying something in the future. Thanks to them for the support of the podcast and the support of me. I really, really appreciate it. Cheers, guys.